Beeney. I'm uh, Stu Tillman. Live over next door. Been having a little trouble over there with my electricity. It fades on and off. Now, you boys don't happen to be ham radio operators, do you? <laughs> what's so funny? Big Daddy wants to know what's so funny. Who are you boys, anyway? We are monsters, Daddy-O. We came from outer space. Take us to your leader. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation last week about number 12 looks a lot like you. Um, I know I enjoyed the conversation. I know Terry did as well. I'm speaking for him, but I'm just going to assume that he did. Because if not, I'm going to just shove a cup of instant smile down his throat and then he'll agree with me. And then we're, we're going to watch, uh, what was it, electronic baseball and then some super soccer. I mean, I'll take the uh, instant smile willingly. I mean, <laughs> And I'm always up for some super soccer, <laughs> some super RIB baseball or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever the amalgamation is of sports in that, in that distant future, yeah, well, the super basketball. No. Uh, so yeah. Um, yeah. So we hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. That was a great episode. Um, yeah. And so here we are now at the midway point in the season, uh, season five, episode 18. And by season, I should, I always feel like I, I never do this show justice where uh, I never state what our intent is, but if you guys are with us so far with this, uh, you should know that we've been watching the original twilight zone series in sequence, uh, chronologically, I guess that would also be in sequence, uh, from season one, all the way through here, season five, episode 18, uh, cause I feel that it is important, uh, to experience all of the twilight zone, um, for good and for bad. And it's been a fun journey. And now we're here at this episode, which is the, again, the midway point of season five. It is, uh, episode 18 black leather jackets, uh, air date, uh, January 31st, 1964. I do have day and date stuff this time. I did not follow my keys like I did last week. So, uh, number one song there. I've said it again by Bobby Vinton. So that didn't take much to find that. Number one film, Dr. Strangelove. Terry, have you seen Dr. Strangelove? This is a movie that has still eluded me. I am sorry to say. Um, I'm not. A, okay, here, here's the hot take that people can come, come, come at me about this is that I understand Stanley Kubrick is a, you know, in terms of a filmmaker, people hold him up in high regard as well. They should. As a as his product, though, I am always in conflict with it that, you know, I just... <laughs> I, I don't know about you, Terry. Do you, is there certain people out there like, and you can name names. I wouldn't ask you to do that, that, um, are fans of a certain thing that you cannot, you cannot approach them with anything that resembles not negative criticism, but not like 
out and out adulation. And then people are like, how can you possibly say that about this person and their output? I feel like there's a lot of like, um, people that put Kubrick in like this godlike status and I'm not one of them. Um, and I don't, I, I don't know how you feel about that. Well, there's definitely these people that make like, uh, you know, false idols about, um, directors like him, writers like him. I, the one that I will say that uh, is, uh, Quentin Tarantino. Everybody thinks that he is the, the best writer, the best director that has ever walked the earth. And I'm just like, he's okay. He's got some good movies. If people want to bring that to my doorstep about how they think they, they have to disagree with me, that's fine. I, I don't, I don't know if that's really a hot take. There are people out there like me. No, and but. I agree. Like, I, I like Tarantino's output a great deal, and I'm I'm a fan of a lot of it. But if someone brought me like, this is why it doesn't work for me, or I think it's just okay, I'm not going to like nail you to a cross and be like, how dare you uh, attack somebody that is a large fan of other genres and finds a way to always mix the ingredients in a way that you kind of taste everything, but then it still comes out tasting good. He's a master baker. That's Tarantino. Like, you know, like, but not that I'm saying he's not a competent director because clearly is, but he, he is such a, like a, he just takes everything around him and creates something. And that's amazing. Right. Um, but I can also agree with you. Like, so with Kubrick though, like people like, um, it's, it's been 20 plus years since I've seen the film Barry Lyndon, which I'm not gonna get into, but er, like, everyone's like, he shot that with natural light. I'm like, I don't give a shit. The film's boring. Like, I don't like, it's just one of those things. Like maybe, maybe it's better now, but it's like he shot it with actual candlelight because the film was set in the time in which there was no electricity. I'm like, also film cameras, <laughs> I'm gonna throw that out there. Um, like, it's like, so then he should have just done a series of still paintings about the story. Uh, but so Dr. Strange love though, is one that I did not come to until like the last, I'll, 10, 15 years. Cause I had a buddy of mine who was a film student that, you know, was singing the praises of, uh, this film. Uh, this film's great. It's a lot of fun. It's a big satire. Um, I, I'll give you one little bit of trivia that I think kind of sums up what they're going for, for this is that there's this big, like, you know, world threat about a U.S. bomber ending up in Russian airspace by accident. And they think it's a training exercise. It's like this whole big kerfuffle, right? But it's, we're on the brink of like, all out like annihilation. The, the world's powers that be are around this big circular table and the films in black and white. Uh, Kubrick consciously made the choice of making the table and asking the set designers to make the tabletop green felt. Cause he wanted everybody to feel like they're at a, like a poker table playing cards and trying to determine like, you know, bluffing and who's going to win. That's kind of cool to me. He knew that that would never show up in a black and white film, but he wanted the actors to think about it. Dr. Strange loves a really cool movie. It's definitely something that is, you know, I, on my to watch list, my to do list, which is ever growing, of course. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like I have nothing, nothing bad really to say about Kubrick, except, you know, like maybe he should <laughs> take source material for what it's worth a little <laughs> bit more. Are you talking about the shining perhaps? No, I just, I yeah. am definitely talking about the shining <laughs> so the the whole, material is amazing. Yeah. Um, so it just, yeah, Dr. Strange loves great. I think this is also kind of a film that since it's complete, like satire, that is a satire in the sense of like, it's a comedy, but it's saying some hard truths like, and consider this is 64. This is right about before we're about to get into like the thick of things in Vietnam, even though it was already happening. 
that says a lot. Um, this also has the, the very famous uh, image of Slim Pickens riding the bomb all the way down, which I know you've seen that before. Uh, Peter Sellers is in this play multiple roles. It's a fun movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to watch it really soon because it just keeps on coming up on my uh, my watch list. Like, you know, I, I, there's a few apps that I use and it catalogs all the movies you haven't seen and it puts them in order of like what has been voted uh, the best movies of that of that topic. Mm-hmm. And that's always at the top of the list. That and like Godfather 2 and movies like that. So That's fair. So I'll, I'll just say that like as much as like I will be conflicted about how I feel about a certain director and their output, I will say that with this number one film, it's worthy of watching. So anyway, yeah. Um, all right. So more day and date stuff here. Um, uh, President uh, Johnson asked the U.S. Congress to uh, make the pilot program for food stamps permanent nationwide. So the Food Stamp Act of 64 would be enacted in law in August. And I think it's important because, you know, that as much as there might be a lot of talk now about like, you know, helping those that are in need. I think this was very, very beneficiary to people that if they can't, you know, if there's not jobs available, you got to feed families. And I think it's an important like social service. So um, we could talk about the merits of the positives, positives, negative negatives of it. But I think it's an important thing to note. It was definitely important to the people that actually needed it. I mean, I, you know, it's, I'm not ashamed to say it, but, uh, you know, when I was a kid, we, we needed food stamps for yeah. when I was growing up. As, as we did I. Them. Yeah. Like, so. like, yeah, we needed them. Um, I just, I remember them actually being physical paper, like not, but physical paper currency. Do you remember that? I don't know if, yep. uh, yeah, I just remember like, it was like all this weird, weird, like kind of money stuff that like you could go in and spend on certain things, but not things. And I'll tell you growing up as a poor child in West Virginia, um, I remember once, um, sitting in the car with my mom where I forget what she was doing, but she's like, watch this guy. And this, this, this jackass was giving like kids like smaller currency of, of food stamps to go in and buy candy. And he, cause the thing was you couldn't get like paper money back, but you could get change. Right. So he was like having people come in and buy stuff. So he get enough change to go in and buy like cigarettes or beer. It's like, that's the abuse of the system. But, you know, so there's problems there, but it was definitely very helpful for me because we would not have been able to survive without them. Yeah, thank God uh, that uh, something like that was uh, made a little bit more accessible for people yeah. because, I mean, who would have, who knows how many people would have actually been like starving to death because they didn't have something to eat and Absolutely. their families weren't actually able to get like money to the point where they could feed all their children and that. It also feels weird to me that like, you know, it took the 64 to come up with like a big, like social safety net for the country anyway, but it's either here or there. Uh, here's the, here's the thing that you'll appreciate. Jeff, uh, Hanneman, American heavy metal musician was born in Oakland, California. Slayer. Thankfully that you said that because I had to go back and check. I was, cause I wrote my notes, the name and I'm like, what band is that part of? And I had to go back and look it up again. So there you go. Uh, friend, you know. of, friend of show, Richard staving will uh, be really proud of you that you have brought that up. Cause if you weren't going to, I was totally going to <laughs> perfect. All right. So, okay. That's what I got for day and date food stamps and Slayer. That sounds like a weird, like a uh, country cover band that does like Slayer covers that I don't understand at all, but continue, please. Can we get into, to our cast and crew? Playing at the Winchester next week, right? <laughs> <laughs> food stamps and Slayer. Food stamps and Slayer. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so into our cast we go. So our director on this is uh, Joseph Newman. Uh, three other episodes of The Twilight Zone, In Praise of Pip, The Last Night of a Jockey, which we have more recently watched, 
and then he will be doing one more episode this season. And outside yeah. of that, no, of those notes, uh, 10, 10 episodes of the Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Hour. And who was this written by? Terry, who, Mr. who, who wrote this? Who wrote it? Mr. Earl Hamner Jr. is back. All right. Say it with me. Hamner. Hamner. You know, all right. Yeah. That, yeah here we go. Another I, Hamner I, episode. Now I know, I know your pain. So I, <laughs> not to show my hand. Now we know your pain. All right. Yeah. Um, we do have actually a lot of interesting notes here with the cast and crew. So who, who do we got first? All right. So our cast is consisting of uh, Lee uh, Kinsolving. Kinsolving? I think that sure. sounds right. Kinsolving? Um, I don't know. That just sounds like um, a, a um, trap room that I would have failed at. Like a, you know, this yeah, is so the Kinsolving plays- room. I'm like, I'm not going to figure this out. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Escape room, uh, not trap room. Well, gosh, that's way worse. Uh, so Lee plays uh, Scott in this episode. Um, the only notes I had for him was uh, he was an episode of Playhouse 90 and an episode of The Outer Limits. Yeah, he was also in Desilu Playhouse, which was, again, uh, where Time Element first premiered, which was the de facto pilot for The Twilight Zone. He passed away in 1974 at age 36 at like a, like a respiratory disease. Like, But it's like he kind of had like a face that was like, I should know this guy. And we don't. But yeah. Uh, he did, I he, thought I, I thought I recognized him. I be you know like at that point in time, a lot of people were being casted for a very uh, similar type uh, pigeonhole, and basically, and I could st- I could see why he was uh, brought on for this role. If you would have told me that he was like the father of Shooter McGavin from like Happy Gilmore, I would have believed it. Dude, that's a good call. He actually does look pretty similar to him. Yeah. Huh. All right. So yeah, uh, moving on, we got uh, Shelley uh, Fabrias. Yeah, I think it's Fabres. It's it's a weird name. I always mess it up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Shelly Fabrice. No, uh, Shelly yeah. Fabres. Um, she plays Ellen Tillman in this episode. Uh, she did a long stint on a Donna Reed show, uh, probably the entire series, I believe, because she plays the one daughter, uh, and then she was uh, on a. a bunch of episodes of coach as well yeah so um you're right she did have a big uh she actually kind of grew up doing television uh breakout roles donna reed so show so she would actually be what you're know, right like one of the daughters um she was in the entire of the series but kind of like left midway through because her star was blowing up but she would come back for later episodes um you might know her uh for her number one song in april 62 johnny angel Yes. All right. I didn't know that was her. That's yeah. Wild. So um, I just want to point out for everybody listening that um, when that song was number one, uh, April 13th, 62 uh, was the air date of the, uh, the Twilight Zone episode, season three, episode 30, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. So if you want to go back and listen to me get wickedly drunk in the last 20 minutes of that episode and start to everything fall apart, go back and listen to that one. So um, the, the best part of the episode was probably Johnny Angel being referenced. Um, so she ended up releasing a couple albums. She released an album called Shelly. And her quote is, I was stunned about that, meaning like her, her uh, rise for being like, you know, having like hit songs. Uh, she's like, I was stunned by that to put it mildly. Cause after all, I never could sing. <laughs> so she was like, I can't sing. How do I have a number one song? 
Um, so she ended up being a leading lady in one of the Elvis pictures in 65 called uh, girl happy. And then, uh, seventies and eighties, she had like some bit parts. Wasn't great. And you ended up mentioning she was on coach. She was the, the longtime girlfriend slash fiance. And I think eventually wife of Craig T Nelson's character coach, uh, Christine Armstrong. And she held her own comedically in that show and that, and I have not watched that in any recent memory, but I remember liking that a great deal. Cause it had, um, Oh, has Bill Faberbakey, who was the voice of Patrick Starr from um, SpongeBob. And it also has, um, oh shit, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, Jerry Van Dyke, Dick Van Dyke's brother, and as well. He's really funny. Yeah, I used to watch it a little bit. Uh, it wasn't like a heavy rotation at my house, but every so often it would be on after something, and I'd be just too lazy to get up and change the channel. Yeah. Um, it was a pretty good show, but yeah, it, I'm, I'm glad that we. Uh, Got to see a little bit of uh, Miss uh, Shelley Brevros. I'm going to keep on trying that name. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she was a beautiful girl, too, may I add. Yeah, and, and she's and still alive. Yeah, still no, kicking. she's still with us. She's still doing things. Um, and yeah, you could definitely see why she was cast here because um, this was after, you know, star power, right? And, you know, definitely she would be what you would, would what when you're trying to cast for like the girl next door because she literally is the girl next door in this episode. And so. Yeah, per- perfect casting. But yeah, uh, yeah so uh, Michael Frest is next. Uh, he plays Steve in this episode, even though the names don't matter. But yeah, his <laughs> name's Steve. <laughs> um, lots of voice work. Uh, so like, I, I watch a tiny bit of anime. Uh, some of my anime friends out there may uh, know some of these references. He did uh, some voice work for Fist of the North Star and Ninja Scroll. Okay. Uh, yeah. I didn't see specific titles, but I saw like his, like a shit ton of anime voice work. Uh, and it's like, I, for whatever reason, I had my suspicions because he's been doing it so long that I was like, maybe he's in one of my favorite animated movies from that time. Like anime films, perfect blue. Surprisingly enough, he's not in perfect blue. I thought he would be. Cause I feel like this is the kind of guy that uh, was put in for every translation for every anime. Oh, I accidentally messed up my notes there. It's Forrest. I don't know why I put Frest. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Michael Forrest. But, uh, you know, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, um, a lot of anime work. Yeah. And then he, he also appeared in uh, King Kong Lives and Castaway with Tom Hanks. He was the voice of Wilson. That's not true whatsoever. I just want to know. <laughs> um, so uh, next we have uh, Denver Pyle. Uh, he plays Stu Tillman, uh, uh, Ellen's dad. Uh, 53 episodes of the Doris Day show. And he was also in the Dukes of Hazard. Not just in the Dukes of Hazard. Come on here. He was uncle Jesse. He, yeah, very recognizable guy, right? Like also he was in Bonnie and Clyde, uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance. I just think that the name Denver pile was unfortunate. That is a bad name. I just, <laughs> that's a really bad name. I feel but, like, yeah. I feel like you suffer from a Denver pile after you go to Denny's. I feel like it's <laughs> like, Oh gosh, I got a Denver pile. <laughs> um so next we have uh tom gillerman or gilleran gilleran yeah, yeah we're gonna go with that uh he plays fred uh he was in uh night rider and uh some Al- alfred hitchcock presents yeah like you know eight credits i yeah that's you're right that's it yeah. um and then next we have uh michael conrad uh he plays deputy sheriff harper uh hill street blues and the longest yard yeah, he was also in Scream, Blackula's Scream. Just want to point that out. And I guess his big thing with Hill Street Blues, which he actually was um, in the first three seasons of that series because he uh, passed away to cancer uh, partway through the production. 
he was famous for saying like, uh, be safe out there, which I guess he said every episode that he was in. So, uh, and they also wrote his death in to like a plot point. Um, so, you know, kind of a big deal for that show. I remember growing up and remembering like seeing ads for Hill street, Hill street blues. It's just, you know, that was a grown up show. I didn't, I didn't have cartoons in it. I was, I didn't care. Yeah. It was another one of those shows that came on after something else that my, my grandparents and I were watching. My, my grandfather watched Hill street blues. So I've caught some of it here and there, but uh, again, not like a heavy rotation thing for me. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that your grandfather was all about scream, blackula scream. And I've been like, that's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe some other films from that kind of genre, <laughs> but not, not that film. I, I'll <laughs> be honest. I've not seen the blackula films. I need to, cause I seem like they're, I've, I've heard every, I've heard they're pretty great. So yes, I, I definitely need to catch some of them, especially after watching that, um, that, uh, horror noir, uh, documentary. Yeah. The one with Shutter. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, really informative, and uh, there's a lot of films that came up in that documentary. I've been waiting to see. So, yeah. Um, what do you think? What do you think the odds are that you'll get to um, Doctor Strange Love uh, before or after Scream, Blackula Scream? Where do you think you're going to land on that? Well, I'm going to have to watch Blackula first. So, <laughs> I'm going to have to. I so I think that the odds are fa- fairly fairly good that I'll watch uh, I'll watch the other film first. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and so next, uh, credit and the last that I have here is, uh, Gregory Morton. Um, uh, he plays the voice of the leader, which I, I don't want to give too much more away about that, but, uh, and nothing else that I had known of. Yeah. Only, only Twilight Zone appearance. I have a couple other people here. Um, Irene Hervey as Martha, uh, Tillman who, you know, the mother. Oh, oh. damn. I, I skipped over her. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's dude. okay. Three <laughs> episodes, three episodes of Hawaii and I. Um, 1942's Night Monster uh, that had Bella Lugosi in it. Uh, 1971's Clint Eastwood film Play Misty for Me, which I need to get to. So I think it's important to mention. Yeah, I was I brought I put that on my list here I, again. I, I skipped over her for some damn reason. Um, and I had uh, Play Misty for Me as one of the notes, and just the 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 synopsis that it gives is pretty interesting. And I watched the uh, trailer, which the trailer is garbage. Mm-hmm. Um. I just, I, you could tell that there's something interesting about the film, but whoever made the trailer, just, I, I, there was just a way to make trailers back in that day where it's like, you can make them look completely ridiculous, but still appeal to audiences. No, but there but was like, there's like, 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 there's somebody like stalking like a radio host, right? Which is Eastwood, yeah. right? Saying like, play Misty for me. Like, there's some murders, right? I yeah. think this is around the time that he did, um, oh, uh, around the time he did, um, High Plains Drifter and Outlaw Josie Wales. So this is like prime, like East 1971. So yeah, yeah like right around yeah. that time. So I need, I need, I do want to watch this film and it's been on my list for a bit. Um, but yeah. Uh, so uh, I also have, um, I have two other uh, one, two other people here mentioned Wayne Hefley as mover. Um, second of two Twilight Zone episodes. He was in the Odyssey of flight 33. He was in 1977's Orca which is a wonderful uh, Jaws ripoff about a killer, killer whale. Love uh, that film. Yeah. That movie's so ridiculous. I love it. Has Keenan Wynn in it too, which um, that we talked about Edwin. Uh, so Keenan Wynn, the, the son of Edwin is in that film. Uh, and then also uh, here's some trivia I'm just going to throw out now. Um, do you know, Terry, if I, if I was to throw something out here, do you know who played the eyeball of the control voice, the control, the whatever, the guy here, the one that we saw the eyeball in this episode, who do you think the eyeball was? Dude, if if it was him, 
it was it was it um what's his face um the guy who keeps on coming back multiple times you mean robert mccord is the eyeball yeah you'd be right (laughs) yes god man it would have been awesome to make a paycheck just do something like that I'm just I'm just surprised he was like uncredited as the eyeball. Like I ended up finding in the trivia that he like like of all the the like the credited you know appearances that he's on the IMDb, this is not one of them. So we found a secret Robert McCord. Like there's like two or three other Robert McCords we didn't know. We didn't know he was in the Twilight Zone. This makes me very happy. He is the Easter egg of uh, Twilight Zone. There you go. So all right, uh, yeah. That that's that's all I got for cast and crew. So. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think you have no other notes. So should we get into Serling's very, um, uh, laissez-faire intro to this episode? Yeah. What's Mr. Serling have to say about this? Three strangers arrive in a small town, three men in black leather jackets in an empty rented house. We'll call them Steve and Scott and Fred, but their names are not important. Their mission is as three men on motorcycles lead us into the twilight zone. <laughs> I just want to believe that like Sterling just read the script. He's like, I, I don't know what, what jackets names. Sure. I'm out. I, yeah, I, it's probably, <laughs> dude, I got, I got to get, go get some coffee. Like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's like, I, I got a Denver pile cooking. I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm glad that he puts that they, they're renting an empty house because that's sure as hell what it is. So, um, <laughs> can, can, can I just say from the, from the jump though, the image of these three leather clad bikers with like, and also like whatever, like the goggles they're wearing, like that's cool looking. That's the same type of like goggle slash sunglass thing that we found, um, in the old man, in the cave, whenever, um, Oh, what's his face? I uh, was wearing, um, you know, the, the gentleman we've talked about previously. Um, yeah, I, the actor's failing me now. Uh, but you know, what I'm talking about like we. He was also the guy that was the the host of uh, of um, Dark Room. That gentleman, the, you know, the very yeah, famous I, actor. I'm, his name is failing me too. I don't, I'm, I'm terrible right now. So. James Coburn. That's it. Is it James that's Coburn? It, yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. Look at that. I look at, look at me with my recall, but anyway, it's the same sunglasses. It's a very striking image, right? And you got these guys and these motorcycles just ripping through town. And then I like how they all park responsibly. Um, and, but then what, how would you feel about the music? The music here is amazing. The jazzy score makes you feel like something's about to happen. And it's cool. Yeah. I'm like expecting like razor blades to pop out and like everybody starts snapping their fingers. Um, <laughs> I, the, the imagery is great, and uh, the music is somewhat menacing. I like this jazz score. It, it's we haven't heard something like this in a while. Yeah, it, it just it just it just struts. It's really cool. So you got like this, you know, biker gang and like music that struts, and it's like, oh man, these guys aren't going to follow society's rules. And then where do they go? To a real estate office. Because <laughs> that's how they're going to stick it to the man. They're going to buy a house legally. Yeah, we're going to develop property, and uh, you know, you know, really, really, you know, that's where you want to spend your money is owning property and having a house and building escrow, right? Like that's what you want. That's what we're going to do. Like we're going to buck the system by buying a house or whatever. Yeah, that's how you you get in and take out the ground level. You know, like that way. That <laughs> in mean, a very 
mature and legal manner. I, I wrote my notes here. I knew it. All motorcycle gangs want the same thing. Reasonably priced real estate. <laughs> they need, they need to be anchored into a house and not the open road. That's the great lie about motorcycle gangs. They just want a home to call their own. That see, this is where the white collar crime comes in though. Like it's, <laughs> we're going to figure it out later. Yeah, but I love that you see that bit of them going into the real estate office. Then they they drive they drive in the you know, whatever they're going to the house, and then they see like the real estate sign. They pick it up and just like chuck it. They're like, "It's our place now." It's like, yeah, that is that is the most like biker thing you could do is some light littering. Yeah, so it, on their own property too. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, did you notice like they were kind of talking to each other and I, there was no voiceover, like there was no dialogue. And I wrote here, one of them said, I think we can finally start a family here. Yeah. It'll be real good to put down some real biker gang roots here. That's, that's what I wrote them saying to each other. Um, I don't think that happened, but that's what I want to believe. So yeah, as, as you're saying though, like they get to their place, um, and they go up to the front door and as they're like going into the front door, we also see that Stu, um, um, the next door neighbor is out doing some yard work and he kind of gives like a side glance, see what's going on over there. They kind of look like they're some rough dudes that don't really belong to the area. And uh, Ellen comes out and she already like, she, you could tell she's sporting a girl boner. Like as soon as she sees these guys, <laughs> she's like, I see rebel without a cause. Look at these dudes. Yeah. Like they have jackets for now. Uh, so no, I like that. Um, he's like, like uncle Jesse tells, you know, Ellen, like you stay away from those, uh, Duke, I mean, alien boys. Sorry. I spoiled it. But like, I just want to believe that uncle Jesse's like, I see trouble. You got to stay away from those boys. Yeah. So yeah, he gives him, gives her the heads up. Like I, these guys don't look like they're all that good of, uh, good news for the area pretty much. Did you like, like his very angry, his very angry push mowing of like the, the, what was it? The actual, um, I don't know what you call that. It's an actual just push mower. That's not motorized. Like he's just angry, just angry, like mowing his lawn. I'd be because pissed off too. Those things suck. Have you ever used them? Yes. They're terrible. They're absolutely Oh my terrible. God. I'd be angrily pushing that damn thing too. Cause it's probably like on the like slight bit of a chance that there's like an extra half an inch of grass. It's good to jam up that damn well, thing. If the blades are sharp and you have a poster stamp, I get it. But I've, I tried using that and like where like the places I live that are lumpy as all get out. It does not work well. You know, like I've had better success using a weed whacker to cut a lawn than I had with one of those things. He's probably pissed off too, because like whoever, however long that house has been vacant, he's probably been having to cut up that neighbor's bit of lawn. So it doesn't like, seep over into his and make his place look yeah, like it takes, shit it takes me half a week with this lawnmower to trim all that <laughs> no it just makes me think of uh have you you've seen stepbrothers i don't know if have you seen stepbrothers with will ferrell and um john c Riley? that no that's oh, a big no oh i forgot i forgot <laughs> you don't like will ferrell there's a I whole bit that. where uh they're they're recently married parents so like they're they're now stepbrothers because like like was it the, like their mom and father from like separate, like anyway, like their older parents marry each other. So they're now stepbrothers and like they're, and they're trying to move out of the house and they're trying to sell the house. So Will Ferrell and John C. Riley are uh, pretending to be like neighbors across the way to deter people from buying the house. There's a whole sequence there where one of them is dressed up in like Nazi regalia. And the other one's dressed up as a clan member, just waving at the neighbors, the p- prospective new neighbors as they're checking out the house. Kind of made me think of this too, with like all the sideways glances from the lawn. Um, I know you like Will Ferrell, but you should check out that movie. It's funny. 
I don't know. I'll see if <laughs> I'll see if I get through Bla- Scream Black Eula Scream. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. You know, they they get in the house and that and um, and then like the next scene is a, a moving truck that's bringing um, some larger crates boxes, I guess, um, and moving them into the into their house, the biker's house, and. At this point, they have no furniture. Um, it's just these large crate things. And the moving guy, he's like, "Where? Where's all your furniture? Like, what's what's the deal here?" And he, Steve just like sends him on his way, whatever. And as, as no they tip. leave the room, no tip. By the way, I just want to point out, there's no tip given whatsoever to the movers. Yeah, it's Steve's a douche. Right, let's just be real about it. Like, he, he's definitely carrying the persona that uh, Stu thinks that he should be. Like, he is like the next door, next door neighbor douchebag right now. But, um, so as they, they exit the, the house, um, the only way I can explain this to the audience is that he uses the force. Like <laughs> <laughs> it, he uses the force. And may I add to do a very mundane, uh, like thing. He pulls down the blinds to cover up the window with his force. And, <laughs> And then opens the door to the next room that they are about to go through anyways. I'm like, couldn't we have used this, this like magical power in a better way to show off? Like moving all the shit from the truck into the house. Like something like if like, let's say the movers put those big crates in front of the door and they don't want to touch them. So they move them out of the way or something like that. Like something cooler than just being like, Hey, we're going to be walking through this door, but I don't want to touch it. If I had mind powers to do that, the only, the only time I'd probably open doors like that is like, if I had like, like a, like a handful of like a whole bowl full of nachos and like a drink, I'd be like, I can't use my hands time for mind powers. Like that would be about it. Yeah. God. Yeah. There's so many other cool things I would have done with it. Or or if you're sitting on like in a chair, which they don't have and you want a beer from the other room, you used to use the mind powers to open the fridge and bring it to you. That's fine. Like I'm okay with that. Maybe they don't have the furniture because they use their mind powers to sit like above the ground. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, when they go to relax, they're just like propping themselves off the ground. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Like kickstand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So then uh, we find out like, so we get to the Tillman's right. And they're watching the TV and they're, they're just having a great all time laughing. Probably the fact that they're getting paid to be in this episode and, um, like the TV's fuzzing in and out, the lights are flickering. And then the, the wife's telling, uh, tell the husband, it's like, what's going on TV. And she's like, it could it be the antenna. He's like, well, the lights wouldn't be flickering, which point to him. That's true. Um, and he goes to check like the antenna going up, like, so the, the cord going up to his antenna. And do you like when he looks over at the, the neighbor's house where the bikers are, like describe to me the antenna that he sees up there. It is one of the most ridiculous things I've seen in a while. It looks like, it looks like three lawn chairs that are made out of <laughs> aluminum that are like strapped to each it's other. Like, like I, it, it wouldn't be out of place being on top of the phone booth and Bill and Ted's uh, excellent adventure. Yeah, that's a good call. I, I mean, this thing's massive and like, I, I almost feel like Stu's pissed off because they have a bigger antenna. It's like keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. He just looks up and he's like, dude, sons of bitches. They they're, can get CBS now. They're going to get four channels. I don't like that. You know? Um, so I like that. His whole thing is like, oh, just our luck. 
ham radio operators. The bane of our existence in 1964 is a bunch of biker ham radio operators. I and I just don't I, I I don't know what that bigger concern would be. Is the fact that like these dudes that are on loud ass Harley Davidsons have moved next door, or the fact that they might be using ham radios? And I, let me just point this out too. I don't know what the hell ham radio is, other than maybe maybe it's what truck drivers use. I don't it know. Is. Okay, it's the same thing. Um, my uh, my father in law is actually a licensed ham radio operator, <laughs> and he. Uh, Think about it as like proto podcasting. Like he used to, he still does. Will uh, like go out and like mess with the like the different frequencies because you'll get like a lot of skip a skip tracing off of what do you call it? skip signals off of like the ionosphere if there's, there's certain cloud cover, and you can talk to people like all over the country if you get the right frequency. So it's kind of like early uh, early podcast or like early I don't know chat rooms I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, like, I mean, especially after that. Uh, what's that movie with? Uh, with uh, what the hell's the? Oh, frequency. The, oh no, no, Yeah, that's that's a great movie. I love Dude, that movie. It's great till there's that country music at the end. That goddamn that song at the end of that movie. Anyway, you know, sorry, I have my problems where it's like suddenly we're gonna have a Garth Brooks song during a baseball game at the end. Everything's gonna be happy. You know, frequency was cool until you had to try to bring in country. Oh, all right. <laughs> That's my hot take. Fight me. <laughs> I have the same amount of opinions about Kubrick and frequency, I guess. <laughs> I feel like we're going to have to start our own podcast where we literally just piss off our audience at all times. <laughs> I don't know. I think there's a bunch of other just white dude uh, podcasts where they tear down stuff that makes people mad. I think the internet's full of that. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or what you would call them earlier, ham radio operators. Ham. <laughs> Ham radio operators. Like, and that seems to be a hot button subject for Stu because now big man feels like he has to go over and ask what the hell's going on. Are you guys, are you guys talking to people in the house next door without a phone line? Got to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I guess the actual tipping point is, um, Ellen comes down and she says that while she was listening to the radio, all of a sudden she started to hear strange, uh, voices coming through or strange noises coming through or whatever. And he's like, see, ham radios. Um, they kept saying that, daddy over and over again to her. She's like, I like that, you know. <laughs> so, so yeah, so he he gets a bug up his ass, and he's going to go next door and ask them about it. So when uh, Stu goes over and knocks on the door, um, there isn't an answer immediately. So he just starts to turn around. And it's like he didn't even wait like two seconds and was about to turn uh, turn heel. But then all of a sudden the door opens up to a empty room where the lights are off and upon calling out a couple of times, finally the, uh, the, the three biker dudes, um, come in from the other room. And that's where we get the audio that you played at the beginning of the episode, uh, where they start, in, uh, they start messing with them. They start pushing them around and, uh, you know, playing goofy games on them saying that they're, they're aliens or monsters and that, and they keep on calling them daddy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't get that. I just feel like because um, we have Daddy O from this, and then what was a Big Daddy from uh, a short drink from Certain Fountain? You know, uh, Daddies were all the fashion. I never want to say a sentence ever again. Uh, <laughs> daddies were a thing. Yeah, daddies I guess. were a thing. And never, yeah. and never went away. <laughs> no, um, so. <laughs> So yeah, that doesn't go well. He like they end up like basically being like, "You don't want to do this or whatever," because he's like, "I'm gonna get my lawyer and the police." And they're like, "No, you're not." 
and then um, they, they 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 basically mind wipe them. Uh, and there's the bit where Stu, uh, not Stu, uh, yeah, Stu turns around to go walking out of the house, and you can tell he's so like um, just discombobulated that he just just slams into like the like the right side of the door frame, and it was like, ugh, and like I, it would have been better if he had been like, pardon me, and then. <laughs> And then like walked out the door. It's a very awkward sequence that may or may not be our second uh, GIF that's going to show up on our blog for the series. Nice. Uh, I can't wait to see this Um, over and over and over again. Um, Yeah. So he goes, he finally gets out of the house. uh, He finds his way and uh, he goes over to uh, back to his place and he kind of calmly just sits back down on his, uh, his couch uh, when his wife uh asks him what happened he's like ah they're good kids nothing to worry about over there like just like yeah like you said like they just wiped his memory of the whole incident yeah and so then like we end up getting this bit where like later like so i think it's like right after where a bit where ellen is going to go out to try to catch um the bus did you notice that edit that edit's really weird there I don't know. I don't know if it was because I was doing a note at the same time, but I, I didn't catch any weird edit. No, because the bus was leaving and she's yelling at it, and then it cuts right back to the bus leaving again. And that's whenever uh, Scott uh, pulls up with his bike. Uh, but I had my note here. I said weird edit there where Ellen misses the Wienermobile because it looked like the Wienermobile to me. Like it just took off. Yeah, it's a, like the, the buses back then look like big Twinkies. Yeah, um. <laughs> it's like Twinkie, come back, right? So then, uh, you know, Scott shows up and it's like, oh, what's going on? And it's like, so you get this whole thing of like, uh, you know, she's interested because he's like this hot biker guy, and he is like, could he be more like, I'm, I am not from this planet? Like this whole thing about like, like she's like, thank my lucky stars. He's like, stars are lucky. Like this whole bit, um, and it's just, it's, I get what's going on here. Uh, and then like, he eventually like figures out like, oh, she's speaking like a human. And he's like, oh, stars are lucky. That's a gas. And then offers her a ride to, uh, the, the library, you know? So that whole sequence, it's like, it's supposed to lay the groundwork where he's trying to be nice to her. Uh, she's into him and you know, it's Shelly Fabre, you know, like why wouldn't he be into her? Yeah, and of course he uh, he offers her the ride uh, to the library, and it's like, dude, I mean, like, I think this is working out pretty well for Scott, even though he he talks like an, an imbecile. So I, I <laughs> he's he's doing a pretty shitty job of being uh, normal or human, and I just like they've been here for a bit, like, and I know that we're gonna get a little bit more into their their reasonings for being here, but have they not observed people like? Well, if, if their whole goal is to blend in, this is when we're going to speak to this a little bit later. If their whole thing was to kind of blend in and not be noticed. I don't know. Maybe don't like drive around the, the loudest ass vehicles in like the world and also be part of a like subculture that is oppositional and problematic to not problematic in the sense of like, you could be a biker, you can be a greaser. I don't care. But it's like, if you're going to try to blend in, um, you know, going next door where everyone's like, Oh, those, those bikers there. I don't think, I don't think you understand the whole notion of like not calling attention to yourself. Yeah. Like you go into the burbs with your bikes and everything. And you look, you look like you might be in a biker gang or something like you got you literally have all the same outfit on with the emblem, which uh, we keep, we failed to mention that they have this, this black and white emblem 
that is on their jackets. Um, it's 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 kind of like a diamond shape, I guess. Um, I described it as um, what was it? Um, the secret pine tree freshener of doom. It almost looks like one of those pine tree fresheners you put in your car almost, but it's, it's kind of jagged on both ends. And so like with all of that said, if they are trying to blend in, they did pick the most opposing, opposing part of like society that they should have been fitting into. <laughs> and like, it's, you know, if they would have had different outfits and different modes of vehicle or modes of transportation, maybe this might've went off a little bit better, but. I don't know. It, it seemed to catch Ellen's eye, so I guess it worked out kind of. If they would, if they would call the episode like "pink cashmere sweaters," and it's like, "Oh, look, those gentlemen from the college you're moving in next door. How nice of them!" And it's they like coneheads, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are from France. Like, it would have been, been way better, you know. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's a good call. This would have been perfect for coneheads. You're right. So yeah. So anyway, they 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 she. You know, it was like, oh, we're going to go to the library. And then there's that gazebo. And he's like, well, that doesn't look like the library. And I would have been like, yeah, because, you know, she she wants to hang out in the gazebo for a minute. You know, um, and so they start talking for a second. And there's a, another sequence of like trying to determine that he's not from around here. And I, and I just wrote my notes here. Uh, you know, he's like, you've never heard of it parma that's i don't know why i wanted to throw out like you've never heard of where i've been from parma ohio it's way too far away from here radio edit edit we just like yeah yeah from uh middleburg heights i don't know <laughs> yeah, like, i am from ohio town you know like it would have been like oh okay i've not i've not heard of that um but yeah uh, so then like they're, they're, you know, they're vibing. And then she's like, Oh, the library's about to close. And then he does the thing where he touches her wristwatch and kicks it back like 15 minutes. And I'm like, Oh, you're smooth there. You know, whatever. So that's when we get back to uh, mission control in the house. Uh, and the, then the bachelor pad with no furniture, but like two chairs and like every, um, flippy switch board and TV, which, I guess I feel attacked because that's kind of how I feel in my house since I've moved in because uh, we've not gotten furniture because of the pandemic. So maybe this is where I broadcast out of. And I, you know, and here's another appearance thing. They don't have any furniture. Like they don't look normal. So they have their blinds are open. Like you could see through the one window and the fact that Stu was able to get in their house so easily. Was it a fact that they let him in? If that was the case, then they are idiots. Like, they, yeah. like, you're supposed to stay under this guise that you're normal humans and like not draw attention to yourself. But I mean, whatever, but yeah. So, um, we get back to the biker's place and, um, the, the other two, Steve and, uh, Fred, I think his name is or whatever. Sure. Whatever. Um, he, he has like literally one line in this entire uh, episode. <laughs> Alien. That's what we'll call him. I don't know. I got Alien. Yeah. Um, so Mac, um, <laughs> yeah, so, Mac, Mac and, and, and him. <laughs> um, so they, uh, they turn on their little computer thing and they're able to spy on Scott at, the, uh, while he's at the gazebo with Alan. And there's no, there's no dial dialogue between them, but you can tell that they're kind of pissed off that he's there. And then they immediately change the channel to a giant eye. Uh, it's like, that's what comes in is the, this big eyeball that's staring at them. And apparently this is their leader. And well, you get the idea from the logo that they're wearing that, that once you see the human eyeball there, that the logo looks like an eye kind of with like a weird iris. 
And per the original script, it was supposed to be more of an alien looking eye. And so I think that they did that more with the logo versus what was actually shown. Yeah. And it, like when they change the channel, you do see the logo for a second and yeah. then all of a sudden fades in the eye. Um, but yeah, so um, the leader asks about, you know, their brother, which is Scott and uh, Steve gives him like the lowdown, like, Hey, you know, he, he might be a problem for the mission. Now we're not really, we're not thinking he's going to be a, you know, an option. He's a, you know, befriended one of them. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he's compromised. Cause uh, he's chasing the next door uh, neighbor's lady. And like, Oh, well he's gone. To, he's dead to us. Like, <laughs> So, yeah, and they, they kind of hint at, like, some progress that they've made on their mission, which we don't truly know what the mission is yet. But, you know, like, just reporting in, that's all we got right there at this point. And, you know, basically saying that Scott is the liability. Yeah, and that's when we cut back to, to Ellen and Scott talking. And then she rightfully so sniffs out there's something up with him. Um. Like, she's like, I feel like you're lying to me, but I can't put my finger on it. And it's like, that's, that's not the wrong response, but Scott's also, he's like in that position of like, oh, you're a hot, um, human female and I want to get to know you, but I also don't want to betray, um, our plan to annihilate, um, you. So I'll keep, uh, I'll keep trying to answer questions as far as I can. And she's like, I just want to go home. Like, I, I think that's the right response from her. Yeah, he asks about if, if she knows what love is, and if she does, then why doesn't anybody else? And your planet doesn't seem to know what love is. Like, basically, this whole, I don't know, giving up the ghost of, like, why he's not there and the mission and why mm-hmm. he's upset. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, and I, I will give this to you. Have you ever seen The Day the Earth Stood Still? It's been forever, but, yeah, it's been a long time. Okay, so the original and the, the remake have the both the same premise where they there is a representative sent from this galactic console that knows that earth is a liability and he you know he is there to represent um like this greater good like if you don't change things then you're gonna you're gonna encounter problems so that's what it's kind of unfolding to me here at this point now it's like we got the leader, they're sent there on a mission, and Scott is giving up all the, like, pretty much the the um, the idea that why they're there, the disappointment in their race, and, it, it, you know, and unfolding all this information, Alan is uncomfortable, and she asks to go back. Yeah. She just doesn't know how to take all of it. Like, it, it, I mean, he sounds like he's nuts. That's fair. You know, but she's like, he's so hot with that motorcycle, right? So, um, so then... Um, at that point, um, he goes back right to, um, uh, to the, whatever the bro house. And there's an interesting bit there. Uh, and maybe, maybe I'm the right, I think I'm in the right spot where he gets held against his will against the wall with his arms up because, um, uh, you know, the, the Supreme leader is like using his telekinetic power to hold him in place to interrogate him. Um, that that's an interesting sequence there where he's like, I've not said anything. And it's like, he kind of, he, he has, but he hasn't. So he's, he's again telling half truths, but he's now a, like, he's now a being between two parts where it's like, he's not trying to compromise, compromise things except for one person. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of getting like a Romeo and Juliet kind of vibe here yeah. too. Um, Cause I mean, 
he's compromising the mission, giving up, possibly giving up too much information. Uh, and that's why Steve is asking. I'm like, what the hell? Like, what are you telling this chick? And, um, so, you know, he, he promises he hasn't, he hasn't, uh, screwed up things and Steve has to leave him and report back in, um, to their leader in the other room. So he goes into the other room and contacts the leader. And now we have a better understanding of what the mission is. Mm. And it is, they are there with this bacteria to poison the water reserve in the area. And there's other groups that are, they're, they're in different parts of the country and they're all basically waiting on the word to drop this bacteria in the water, which is going to kill people at a rapid uh, rate. Yeah, it's supposed to like annihilate like uh, was the world in like forty eight hours or something. Like it's it's a it, and so the infestation of these beings is like already absolute, right? So uh, phase two is supposed to be in order, and and the the supreme being was like, "Hey, are you been have you been talking to those in the area?" And Steve's like, "Yeah, you know." And it's like, "Oh, we're gonna do this, right?" So then, uh, I, I feel like at this point, like the the plan to annihilate the human race is already well too far in effect that um i know scott has his druthers here but really what is he going to do honestly i'm not sure what he really expected especially in this small interaction with ellen yeah how would that have really phased like all this planning like the dude has known her for approximately like an hour and yeah. that that's enough to sway somebody. I mean, hey, I hey, come on, come out. on. We just saw in the long morrow. As long as you have like dinner for three hours, you're willing to go into a, a 40 year long journey in a spaceship full of poop to come back to one woman. Right. So, you know, you don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, like <laughs> motives can be different for each person, I guess. <laughs> But, you know, upon hearing all of the, of this, I, dude, I just think the master plan is a little too far to affect that if a single family's tipped off to what's going on, I really don't think that's going to change the outcome. Yeah. Like, I mean, Scott's uh, efforts are going to be, they're going to be, they're going to fail on both aspects. He can't go to his leader and explain, well, you know, I talked to this chick and she seemed real cool. So we really have to like, we have to call off the plan. Sorry, dude. Sorry about all that planning that we've had to terraform this planet for our own needs. <laughs> um, and then, you know, going, going to Ellen's parents, like, how did, how do you explain something like that to somebody? Like, <laughs> like yeah. all right, space cadet, get back, go back to your planet. Well, there's even the bit too, like whenever, like he, he goes to like, he runs away after, you know, they're, they're like, Scott's not going to be a problem. Scott becomes a problem. <laughs> he just immediately runs away and then he goes over to her place and um, it was that the other dudes uh, pull out and it's like in their motorcycles again, like how do you not stick out? Like, I don't know, loud ass motorcycles in the nighttime. But then uh, Scott tells her, tells Ellen like, Hey, this is what's up. And then, um, you know, she, she's outside talking to him. Right. But then it's whenever um, the father calls the police, right. To be like, Oh no, this biker guy is in the middle of the night talking to uh, actually, I take that back. I'm sorry. He goes to run away afterwards, right? Because she can't process what he's trying to tell her, which is like, hey, we're not from around here. We're about to kill everybody. And she's like, I can't handle this, right? And I think that's when he takes off for a second. And then she goes to tell her dad what happened. I, I she, think that's she, the order, right? She, she professes her love to him, too. Oh, yeah, she's that's like, true, I, yeah. 
<laughs> she's like, I love you and everything, Scott, but man, you're sounding like like you're crazy or something like that. And it's like, oh my God. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is not real. Like, no one falls in love that quickly. Please stop it. All right. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> please stop. But uh, yeah, whatever. You know, teenage love, I guess it comes hot and comes hard. Uh, well, that sounds weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Scott, of course, is like he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know how to, you know, give her any better uh, reasoning to 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 go to authorities and that. So he's like, all right, forget it. So he runs away. She runs into her and uh, to talk to her father, which he's like, well, I'll, I'll, I got this. Don't worry about that at all. So he calls up Harper, the the, the sheriff, deputy sheriff, and lets him know about everything that's been going on. And Harper explains, like, all right, I'll be there in a little bit. So in that period of time, while uh, the cops are being called in that, Scott is back at their place, the biker's place, to get a hold of their leader and that's, try that, to right. change change the plans, change the leader's mind. But we get a shot of the police guy, um, like, as he's on the phone, he's about to hang up. He's holding a uh, medallion of the, um, you know, the pine tree of doom or whatever, right? So we know he's in on the whole thing. Right, yeah, which I, I wish I would have uh, remembered to say that, but yeah, but yeah, so, <laughs> but yeah, so he, he was going to be coming back over. It um, smells like black it. leather. I just want to let you know that's that's what it <laughs> smells like. That's what the uh, secret pine tree freshener of doom smells like. Yeah, and um, so yeah, Scott's uh, efforts to talk to the leader into changing their his mind or whoever's mind it is, the hive mind, to uh, to forego their plans and. Uh, let the planet lie. It doesn't work. Needless to say. <laughs> yeah. So. Right. He's like, Hey, that thing you already have in motion. I met one really nice hot girl. And the, 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 the vine leader's like, so like, <laughs> I'm in this thing called love. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. It was just kind of goofy. I, I think if, I don't know if you want a better, if you want a better sto- a story like this, uh, there's plenty of other movies that do it better. This is just ridiculous and how it's all playing out. I'm sorry. But it is. Um, so, yeah, we get uh, Harper. He finally shows up at the house. And as the family's trying to explain to uh, the sheriff, deputy sheriff, sorry, um, what had transpired, um, Scott all of a sudden comes up to the door and starts beating it down. And when he gets inside, he sees uh, the deputy sheriff and he's like, oh, no. Like he knew, he knew this dude. Like you could see as soon as he walked through the door, he knew who Harper was. And he's like, no, don't listen to this guy. He has been, uh, he's one of the advanced units. So like they were talking about, uh, separate units had come down to earth to start the whole mission off from, from the beginning stages. This dude was part of that. And Scott knew it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a very much like, you know, it's a it's a kind of the reverse of like um, the invasion of the body snatchers because like they're all on the same team type of thing, but he's the one trying to break away. So it's kind of interesting. He's like, oh shit! I, he's like, he's here too, right? So then he gets pulled away, and the family feels like they've done the right thing. Little do they know that they sealed their own fate, which would feel way more important if we didn't know that the world as we know it would was already doomed. But that's the end of the episode. Yep, he gets taken away by some white coats, yeah. and uh, yeah, and we're not going to see Scott uh, be the hero. 
Yeah. And everybody's going to be poisoned and that's that. So that's your episode. So, uh, um, I do want to mention though, when the end credits of the Twilight Zone plays, they'll usually pick one image to play their credits over. They did the image of the weird, um, like, you know, whatever the, the pine tree freshener of doom. I thought that was kind of fun, but yeah. Um, uh, what like, man, the, this episode is a mixed bag for me. Um, and I'm going to go like a 30, 70 mixed bag being like, I liked, I liked the imagery at the start of like, what's going on with these bikers. This is kind of interesting. They're kind of like weird. And the music is upbeat. Like this could have been a really cool episode. And, um, like you're, you're you might laugh when I say this. Um, but this is one I feel like might have been better placed in season four, where you could have given more room to breathe, the relationships and then maybe narrow the scope a little bit and not make it about like complete global annihilation yet. Maybe make this the invasion force that's kind of testing the water, so to speak, no pun intended to see if it's worth striking. Like as you were, I, yeah. as you were saying that I was, I was thinking that this would, uh, benefited from a longer, uh, time slot, like the, the longer format. Because it would have flushed out the characters a little bit more and gave reasoning for I mean, their motives. And it, that. It, it, Hamner's writing it, so we don't know. There's no givens about any of this, but let's just, let's just be honest here. This is the man who once said, That cat was a witch. We don't know. We do not know if he would have pulled it off, but I think the story itself deserved a longer runtime. And the groundwork, at least, could have been a little bit more interesting to like to develop um like the suspicions of these of these guys that have moved in next door, like th- there could have been a little bit more suspense built into it. I think it just it went so quickly. By the time that uh, Scott is taken away by the white coats, I'm I'm like, wait, the episode's over already. Yeah, I w- it just went so quickly for me, and I think that there could have been so much more to uh, pad this episode up. And I'm in agreement with you as well that like. There were certain things that were really interesting about this episode, but then they leaned so hard to like certain aspects, like certain story storytelling uh, bits that I'm like, all right, this well, this, now this is goofy. Yeah, like there really isn't a third act. It's just you know, uh, weirdos in town. They're gonna do what they're gonna do. Uh, alien falls in love with the girl and plans going in place. So then you would think the third act would be even though he is being pulled away. That would be, you know, that that's the lowest moment of the arc, right? That's the darkest hour that he needs to break free and then grab her and try to stop it. That that's the third act, right? Like, yeah, there's just like this episode's a mess and it's a lot of missed opportunities. And as much as I shake my fist constantly at Earl Hamner Jr., um, and we have a bit of trivia here that I'll, I'll let, I'll let Terry tell because I know he is uh, eager to say so. And I agree with him, um, man, like this is one that's just like, could you, I wish you could have been in the oven longer because I think of a lot of the Hamner stuff that we've gotten, this is the one that actually showed a little bit of promise. I mean, Jezebel was fun in a folklore type of thing. And I, know I played the clip from it earlier here. Um, so that one can be kind of ridiculous. And he wrote it in seven days. This one's like, Oh my gosh. Like, you can see that he as a um, creative type, like things occurred to him. It just, my God, like, I don't know. I don't know where it all fell apart here. Yeah. I mean, we could, we could try to dive deeper into like the motives and like try to rewrite this episode in our heads. I, it's just, 
I don't know if this is really one of the standout episodes for for the Twilight Zone. But oh, this no. is not. This is one that's going to fade into the background for me. Um, not. It's not like it's a big piece of trash or anything like that. But it's just. It just wasn't uh, pulled off well. Like it. Just, like it didn't stick the landing for me at all. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, do you have any other uh, notes before we get into the trivia? No, the only thing I would say is that if you if you like this kind of a uh, uh, narrative, like a uh, world domination or trying to prevent people from killing themselves, like I, I please watch the day the earth stood still. Mm-hmm. It's a classic film. Um, it's one of my favorite um, uh, alien invasion movies of all time. So definitely watch that movie if you like anything about this episode. That's a good call. So, um, yeah. All right. So the, um, the, the, I had three bits of trivia when I already mentioned Robert McCord was the eyeball. So I think that's great. Uh, the living room set that we had for the family was the same one from ring ding girl in 90 years of that slumbering slumbering. Um, I don't view those as positives cause I don't want to think about those episodes ever again. And what's the, the other bit of trivia I had here from uh, Mr. Hamner jr. Himself. All right. So in an interview with the archive of American television in 2003, the writer Earl Hamner Jr. admitted that he thought the uh, that the uh, this episode was bad, and that he was not a pr- as proud of it as most of the other episodes of the Twilight Zone. That, uh, he says most. I want to know what he means by that. That's what I want to know. Yeah, I. Th- I mean, you you wrote eight, dude. Like, is <laughs> <laughs> most like the other seven? Yeah, m- most implies like five right like because most would imply like greater than right like mm. yeah i don't know so yeah here we are here we are uh halfway through the season this thing um before we talk about what we're going to do next here um i guess we just got to get to uh get to the twist it, what, what's the twist that the one alien would fall for the hot girl and try to like save her is that where i think it is because i mean I don't know where else the twist or there's the twist that um, it doesn't matter what he was going to do. The plans are going to go in place anyway. I, if those were the, if those were the twists, then I give those both ones. I feel like the twist is very early in the episode. And the fact that you find out there are aliens, like three biker dudes being aliens. I think that's kind of like a, a two a three. I don't know. Like, because it's like, it, it, Fair enough. it put me, it put me on, on my heels as far as like what I expected out of the episode from, from that first imagery. All right. Well, I'll give you, I'll go here. I'll beat you there. 2.5. I know we don't really do 0.5s, but I feel like that's fair enough. Right. Like I, you know, especially after the last episode where it was like, we got this future society of like all these people going through processes and everything. And suddenly we got three dudes looking kind of similar to each other, wearing jackets, like acting as a unit, you know, it's kind of like coming from one episode to the next. You don't know where we're going to go with this. It's like, Oh yeah. Aliens. Like I'll, I'll give you that. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, it. It. I mean, for Twilight Zone, aliens are not surprising, but for this episode, I felt like that was the. Huh. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's where they're going with it. Oh, and there there was some other trivia too. That I didn't write it down specifically, but uh, the guys who were like the three actors, um, they were given these bikes that like all three of them knew how to kind of ride because I, I think that was kind of one of those things. Like if you're going to be an actor, you need to know how to use a motorcycle. And since these bikes were kind of beefy, they're running around doing like popping wheelies and shit. And like, and they're like, we shouldn't have done that, but it was a lot of fun. That would have been fun on set to be like, I know how to make this bike work. And then like everybody be like, you need to calm down. It's like, I'm wearing a black leather jacket and I'm a biker. I'm going to pop a wheelie right now. That would have been fun. That's, that's pretty impressive too, because these were, these are beefy bikes. These are yeah. 1964 Harley Davidson panheads. 
Like these are badass bikes, man. Yeah. Cool looking bikes, right? Like just, yeah. Like there, there's just bits here that are like, huh, that's interesting, but yeah. All right. Um, that's going to do our our discussion about, uh, black leather jackets. Um, before we get into what we're talking about next, let, let you guys can find us on, um, uh, strange highways, uh, podcast on Facebook. Uh, we're always posting images there in the coming week. You'll definitely see a, um, a gif of somebody hitting a door frame and then looking at it weird. Um, and we post some stuff there sometimes, uh, other than images. Uh, you also could email us directly at a uh, strange highways podcast, gmail.com. And then wherever you find your uh, podcast, rate and review us. And Terry, what other social media and other ways to find us can people do? All right. You can check us out on Instagram. Um, posting a lot of fun in- images on there, trying to get a little bit more proactive when, uh, people asking them questions and that, uh, so we're having fun on there. Um, you can also listen to us, uh, follow us on um, Spotify these days, and we're on we're on like all the major uh, podcast uh, servers now. Like we're even on uh, iHeartRadio and that too. So if you can, please give us a review, give us critiques if you'd like as well. I mean, we're we're open to anything. Just talk to us. We're waiting for you. Look at us being on iHeartRadio, the same place where you can find uh, Shakira talking about ghost stories. There you go, perfect. Um, all right, so. Um, next episode of the twilight zone, we're going to get to at some point would be episode 19 night call. So I'm going to let Sterling introduce that. So everybody just uh, keep this in mind, but that's not what we're doing next, but we got to let Sterling tease the next episode. And now Mr. Serling. next time out in the twilight zone, Richard Matheson provides us with a tour de force and suspense and the unexpected with a show called night call. It stars one of the most eminent actresses of our time. Miss Gladys Cooper. And it poses the kind of question that arises when a telephone keeps ringing and you realize that the caller has not been on Earth for a number of years. I hope this intrigues because I think the show will. Next time out, night call. And they're trying to reach her about her extended warranty on her car. That's what the episode is. No. All those sons of bitches. Um, no, so that's, that's going to be the next episode of Twilight Zone we cover. We're going to take a, like a small break. Um, and we've not determined the actual length of time here because we're like, so we're halfway through season five. So what we like to do here is take uh, some detours on strange highways. So what we're actually going to do next week, uh, when we come back together and I hope you guys will join us for this, we're going to be looking at a film that we've talked about a couple of times. It's because of the casting connections to it. It's a film that I've never seen. It's from 1978 called magic. Um, here is this, the quick little, uh, the tagline, no, not tagline, the, uh, elevator pitch from IMDb. A ventriloquist is at the mercy of his vicious dummy while he tries to renew a romance with his high school sweetheart. We, this has uh, Anthony Hopkins and Margaret and Burgess Meredith. I cannot wait to talk about this film. I've never seen it. I, neither have I. And, you know, there's a lot of good films from 78, a lot of good horror. And this is, this has been one that's been off my radar and I just need to understand why, because it sounds so fascinating. And of course, the cast is amazing. Yeah. So we're going to do that next week. And then we're going to talk more about other detours that we'll be getting into um, a spoiler. We're going to re- be revisiting an earlier episode of the twilight zone. We'll talk about that when we get there, but every, yeah, that that's going to do it for us this week. I hope you enjoyed our conversation about uh, black leather jackets. Uh, again, I hope you guys enjoy us for our detours for the next couple of weeks, because we're going to be finishing season five here in, uh, in the year of 2020, 2021. Um, you know, like, this has been a lot of fun. I, I cannot believe we're already 18 episodes in. That sounds ridiculous. Cause that means we've been doing this for a few months, but every time I turn around, it just zips right by. And 
you know, as much as we might have some not good, good episodes, I'm not ready for this original series ride to end just yet. So I hope you guys will appreciate uh, us pumping the brakes and getting into some other stuff as well. Yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy all the other detours that we've done uh, up to this point. Um, we keep on trying to find stuff that is interesting and we will have interesting conversations about. And this looks like it's going to be right up my alley and I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go do it for this week. Have a good week. Have a safe week. And I don't know, just take it easy, daddy-o. And if you're trying to be inconspicuous, please don't drive a Harley-Davidson panhead. things that he's some kind of a of a spaceman and that they're taking over the earth and that we're all going to die you better get him some help